great to be with you guys. I'm going to pray, um, and then I'm going to have you guys engage with me for a minute. So let me pray. Father, we um, pray right now and recognize that you and your presence is everywhere. God, it's in you that we live and move and have our being. So we pray for an encounter with you tonight. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the reality of God. And I pray that you would impress yourself on us tonight. God, that we would feel the weight of who you are, um, God, and the power and liberation of who you are. So we ask now, come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to do something. Don't be shy, but you got to start like loosening up your shoulders. So loosen up your shoulders, and if you want to do some arm circles, because I'm going to have you guys use your arms in just a minute, okay? So go, you can do some cross swings. Don't be shy, just get loose, get loose. All right, so I'm going to ask a question, you're going to have to use your arm. So I'm going to ask you a question, the second I end the question, okay, you use your arm to do it. I'm going to ask you to point somewhere, okay, tonight we're talking about Heaven. Where is heaven? Okay, don't be shy. Where's heaven? Do, do what you keep your thing. Okay. So here's the deal. The vast majority, if some of you um, at different times have had some type of a question or you've been taught in this way, um, you may have done something different. But generally, everybody, when they ask the question, if you go to heaven when you die, where do you go? Everybody goes, whoom. Right? I'm going to read you a passage, Revelation chapter 21. You guys are in a series called The End. Tonight's about heaven. What we typically know is heaven that most people would point up with. So the most iconic passage about heaven is Revelation 21. There's many of them, but it's the place most people go, hey, in the end, what's it going to ultimately look like? Listen to this passage. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, okay, I don't have the Bible up on the screen tonight, so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Really try to be attentive. It's amazing how God made us that if you're attentive, you'll begin to see the color come out in the words. You'll see the picture. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God." He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So we're talking about the end, talking about heaven. I'm going to give you a correction, which is where we are right now, then a description, and then application. What does this mean to us? So here's the correction. When we read this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. What does it say? For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. He says, verse 2, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down. 
It's very interesting. And what does it come down to? Earth. So there's this reality of whatever it is we call heaven, that this is trying to understand that in the end, what's called the new heaven and the new earth is earth. So even when it says this first passage that many of you may go, hey, that's really weird. The first earth passed away, right? That's what it says here. There's this very interesting phrase. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. So heavens, a lot of times in the scriptures are talked about as like the skies. There's different ways heavens communicated. I'm not gonna get into this, but there really are like area, different ways in which the Hebrew scriptures talk about the heavens. So like the psalmist would say, the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth its handiwork. When he's speaking of heavens, he's speaking of the skies. So ultimately, when you get the idea of what's happening, it isn't that the old heaven and old earth got incinerated and burned up. It's much more like a transformation that as the new heaven and new earth is coming down, there's something fundamentally going away about the old heaven and the old earth that something new is being formed. So the passing away is because of a transformation. Very similar to, this is a terrible illustration, but if I change clothes, right? There's, a trans, there's something fundamentally happening, but the clothes, if you were, are being taken off by the new one coming on. So that's the passing away, but it's coming down. So when I sit with my kids, and my kids were younger, and now I Braden's 17, Yale's 15, Lucy's 12, and Harmony's 11. And they would ask questions about heaven. Like, what is heaven like? So in, in popular culture, when heaven's talked about, it'll be like, you'll see these images, like fat little angels, right? That, they, the Cupid angels that are like smiley, weird, and they're floating on clouds, Right? And if you're like, do you want to go to heaven? You're like, no. <laughs> like, those little angels freak me out. They feel really weird. I don't want to hang out with them. Well, that's a myth. That's not real. Or other people will talk about heaven, and it, the way they describe it is like an eternal church service. See, people are already laughing. I know a guy who said, if it's an eternal church service, that sounds more like hell to me than it does heaven. <laughs> Right? So you go, is it an eternal church service? No, it's life. So I tell my kids, they're like, what does heaven look like? I'm like, it looks like these streets we're driving down, the same relationships you have, all of it but with sin sucked out of it. So in the end, the new heavens and the new earth, when we think about the end of what it is, it's like the world, the life we live in, which then many of you go, well, I don't, I don't like this. I don't like life. But here's the key. With sin sucked out of it. I'm not certain we spend enough time thinking, what would the world look like without sin? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what would this world look like had Adam and Eve never sinned in sin weren't in our world right now. It's an exercise I encourage you with some of your friends to just begin to think about or tonight when you go home in journal. But there's all kinds of things we accept as normal 
we accept as normal, a la the police department. Right? These, there's, I mean, you just begin to list them. Like, what are all the things that wouldn't be here if sin were not present? One of them's mentioned in this passage in the negative way we cry tears because of loss. It says that God will be there and wipe every tear from every eye. So here's the correction I wanted to just set the record straight on, is that when you think in the future about the end and heaven, which is much more rightfully termed the new heaven and new earth, when you think about it, don't point up. So now with what I said to you, if you think about where heaven is in the future, where is it? Okay, if you go here, that's true. Guy in the back is doing it right. Like, it's everywhere. Now, when you think about heaven, there's a phrase in the Bible called the kingdom of God, and it's interchangeable in the scriptures with another term called the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom means there's a king. <laughs> and the king in the Bible is actually spoken of it. And when Paul is speaking in the New Testament to a group of people that do not believe, he says, God is not far from any one of us, for it's in him that we live and move and have our being. Now, if you think about that, you're like, that's kind of wild. Like everything I do, my, my living, that's my talking, my walking, my planning, my eating, in him we live and move and have our being. We're moving in God, the king, all the time. So there are a couple of these images in the Bible that are really interesting when we begin to think about heaven, which I know we're talking about the end, and we're going to position this. I'm going to give you a description of, well, what does that actually look like? Does the scripture give us images of that? But let me in the meantime speak this to you, because Jesus himself said when he showed up on the scene, behold, the kingdom of God is at, anybody know what, it, what he says? Is at what? hand. If you just take a plain meaning of what he means by that, it means it's right here. So there are a couple scenes when you begin to think about heaven and the new heavens and the new earth as it relates currently to the present earth. You see a couple scenes. In the Old Testament, there's this moment where there's a big crisis happening and all of a sudden, God decides to pull back, hear this image, the thin film that prevents us from seeing. And all of a sudden, people of God look around and there's these chariots of fire protecting them. That it's this moment, there's this reality when God decides, and he shows it in the scripture, that there's moments where he pulls back the thin film and people begin to go, holy cow, we're surrounded by a, you could call, spiritual world, a world of God. That the world we live in, in him we live and move and have our being, is spiritual. Everything. All the time around. Then there's another scene where he walks up with his three disciples, um, Peter, James, and John. It's this famous passage called the Transfiguration. And all of a sudden, his humanity, the thin film on his humanity is pulled back, and his glory is revealed. 
And they're just trying to figure out answers. Like, should we build a tent for you, Moses, and Elijah? Right? They don't know what to do, but in the end, they see the glory of God and this reality of a thin film, something that we presently can't see, that faith does enable us to look into the unseen, but there's a reality going on right now. The full culmination of that is Revelation 21, is this happening. So now the question is, well, what would that actually look like? We had a correction that heaven's not up here, right? We had a connection of like, actually, it's, it would be everywhere around us, and we would fully experience what even right now is all the time true, God's presence. The difference then is we will see face to face. Now we see through a glass dimly, then we will see face to face, the fullness of reality. So in the end, if like, Tyler, okay, you're talking about this, what would that actually look like? and feel like? How could we begin? And we could imagine, but there's a pretty powerful passage in Isaiah chapter 11. And I want you to just listen. This is, we did the correction, so now description. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. Now just stop there. Let me read that again to you. And so when I say the wolf will lie down with the lamb, picture in your head animal planet a wolf and a lamb, what happens? Go for it. What happens? Right? These are the, the moments like there's some people in here that are like, this is amazing. And other people are like, ah! Like, I got to cover my eyes. So the wolf eats the lamb. A leopard will lie down with a goat. The calf, that's a baby cow, and a lion you watch those shows. Those don't go together. A calf and a lion and a yearling together, and then a little child will lead them. So every woman in here and father in here, just imagine, some of you may have kids, others don't, but if your kid, little child, was there and a wolf showed up, would you be like, take him out in processional, buddy? <laughs> like, lead him out. Go for it. Like, just run out there. Like, run, like, look at him. Run really fast out there. There's a leopard also by there. Like, lead him out. Now, here's something really interesting. If you're sitting in here and you're like, this is so stupid. Like, you actually believe that? Let me ask you a question. If you think that's like fantasy land and it sounds too much like Disney, why is it that little children, when they go to the zoo, are so compelled to move towards the animals? And they look at a lion or a tiger. And depending upon the zoos, now you'll see, if you guys have ever seen stories about like the kid who falls in the pit of the gorillas. Right? What is the kid doing leaning over the ledge? What is so internally, instinctually in the child to want to go 
to those animals. I mean, think about it. Just step back a minute and just think about a lion. Because the lion's mentioned this passage, right? Tell me a lion's mane and their big back isn't made for kids to ride on and hold the mane. Like, you know, just, you go like, there's no way. That, that kid is sitting there going, I'm supposed to be on the back of that lion. And that thing's supposed to run me fast. And my mom go, oh no. And the lion's like, got it. And keep going. I mean, imagine this picture. There's something intrinsic in human beings that you're like, that thing looks awesome. And you know, in your gut of gut, you're supposed to be able to pet that tiger. You're supposed, like just inside, you're like, there's so, what is that? If you're in this room and you go, that's all garbage, what is that? Why is there such a compelling nature in us to move towards those types of animals? I think the Bible's really clear. We're made in the image of God and we're made to function in a world where there isn't sin. This seems unfathomable to us and therefore unbelievable. Like it sounds like, that's stupid. That sounds like, like I said, like a Disney movie. Why are Disney movies so compelling? Why do kids want to talk to birds? The wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and lion and the yearling together and a child will lead them. Now it keeps going. The cow will feed with the bear. And they're young. That's the calf. What's a young bear called? Cub. All the Chicago Cub fans are like, Cub! Their young will lie down together, a calf and a cub, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. And we're like, a lion? Lions aren't vegan? A lion will eat straw? No, lions like, and, and we get really interested, like lions have these big teeth and strong hands and they devour things. But he's saying, no, not here. Now listen to this, the infant... So before it was this small child, the infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into a viper's nest. But think about it. Like you look at like these big snake holes, like a viper's nest. You're like, I want to put my hand in that thing. It's, it, like in a haunted house when they have those things like put your hand in here, right? It's like what people are looking at like that hole is meant to have my hand in it. You may go, oh, I would never do that. A kid would, am I wrong? <laughs> Every time the kid's like, I, I'm going to that hole. Stop, you're gonna die, right? That's the way we know it. Here it's saying a description of the new heavens and new earth is kids play in vipers' nests. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Why? Because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. So what is it ultimately at the core level that enables that to happen for the earth 
will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, let's get really realistic for a minute. Lions devour other animals. Cobras bite people and kill them. There are real people right now who have real relatives who've been mauled by bears. There's people who drive down a street and deer runs in front of the car and two parents die. This is the real world in the midst of what's ultimately happening. The real world is kids go to zoos and the parents grab their back as they're running for the lion. No. Because of sin. Sin is far more comprehensive than just us doing the things we really shouldn't do. It is that, but it's not less than that. It's also us not doing the things we should do. The reality is sin is cosmic. It's beyond our comprehension, and there's something happening in the spiritual world. It's cosmic. It's societal. It's in everything. There's a famous Christmas hymn that says... You guys ever heard the Christmas hymn, Joy to the World? One of my favorite lines in that is, no more let thorns or thistles grow or thorns infest the ground. He's come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. The curse is found in the animal kingdom. That curse inside the animal kingdom is also in us, which sin, what it always does, is separates us from God and from each other, and from the whole of creation in its totality. So when you hear a description like this, the truth is, this is what God says is going to happen. He's also then picturing the way in which it was supposed to be, and he's picturing a reality of the way we're meant to try to bring about today. Now, that doesn't mean I'm telling you to go shake the hand of a bear. But there is this sense of like, how are we supposed to relate to the total whole of creation as we're relating to God and getting to know him more? Then the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. But we're growing in our knowledge of God now. And as we grow in our knowledge of God, our knowledge of the world gets far more accurate, far more consistent to reality. So there's a correction Heaven's not there. Heaven's all here with sin sucked out of it. A description is this description that sounds absolutely incredible. Now, remember when I told you kingdom of heaven is interchanged in the Bible with another phrase. Do you remember what it was? Kingdom of God. There's this verse that I absolutely love in Romans 14, and the whole chapter's great, but I'm just going to read you the verse, and this is all in the context of people getting pissed at each other for what they do or don't do. People making things very religious at that time, which seems crazy to us, is like, could you eat that or could you not eat that? And the, the issues of these people's convictions and opinions were dividing them from each other. And he's like, you don't understand the reality of the kingdom of God if you're allowing this to divide you. And then the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, 
but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we said we're going to bring a correction, a description. The description was all those animals that we were talking about of the kingdom. And now we're going to go application, because this is what God does. God is the God of everything. So we went, heaven comes down, new heavens and new earth takes over earth, sin gets sucked out. What does it look like? And we begin to look at like little kids who the Bible says the kingdom spoken or most identified with. Receive the kingdom of God like a little child. Now, what does that mean for us in the real world? Like in our real relationships with what's really happening. He says the kingdom of God doesn't exist in your perceptions of what ultimately spiritual is. In your opinions of whether we should be eating or drinking or doing that, this or that. He says the kingdom of God actually exists, here's the three things, in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So this is where we're going to come into your neighborhood right now. What is righteousness? In the Bible, what's a simple way for us to understand what righteousness is? I think the easiest, fastest way to understand what righteousness is, is right relationships. Love the Lord your God, a relationship with God, with everything you are, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Righteousness at its core level, even if you went, well, righteousness is the good thing, sin is the bad thing. Look at the New Testament. All the while sin is most accurately described is in ways that are damaging to relationship. Which is why Paul, when he's going through all the sin, when we think about something like the Ten Commandments that define it, says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the fulfillment of the law. The whole law, he says, is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Righteousness at its core is all about right relationships. So think about this for a minute. Take a deep breath, because we're coming at you. The greatest joys and sorrows in life always have to do with relationship. Think about it right now. If I said to you, what are the greatest joys in your life? Think about them for a minute. I promise you, people are involved. Even if you go, nah, there was this moment I was by myself and I was hiking in the Grand Canyon... But what made it great is you telling the story to somebody when you got back. It wasn't you keeping it to yourself. The greatest joys in your life always have to do with relationships. We could flood this with stories right now. And then if I said the greatest sorrow in your life always has to do with relationship. Righteousness, peace. So right now, Many of us in here struggle with anxiety, struggle with depression, struggle with just uneasiness. And if we were really honest, like if somebody said, are you at peace with yourself? You may lie right now and go, yes, totally am. But you go home and you're like, I am not at peace. And my, I am certain a ton of your lack of peace is directly related to your relationships. So some of you in here wrestle like crazy of, 
I do not have a good relationship with my mom or with my dad. Or my dad, when I was a kid, treated me horrifically in things I don't even want to speak. That when I think about them, it affects me. Or my mom. Or you sit in this room and you go, I feel like I have no friends. And when you go home, you experience loneliness at such a deep and core level. But this reality of a lack of peace has direct relation, direct relation to righteousness. Right relationships. This sense of constantly trying to prove ourselves to the world and to people in order to get acceptance is a lack of peace because a lack of right relationships. This is what sin does. It damages our relationship with God and in turn our relationship with each other. The greatest joys and sorrows in life always have to do with relationship. And some of this may directly be that you have actively, in the past or currently, are actively wronging people, sinning against people, objectifying people. Take the greatest moments right now, the greatest issues of our day. They all have to do with relationship. Polarization in society, racism, classism, the poor. Just begin to name it. Genocide around the world. War in Ukraine. Just talk about economic collapse. What is like my, Tyler Johnson's greatest fear of if there is economic collapse, will I be able to feed my kids? Will I be able to support my wife? It always has to do with the real world, with us. The kingdom of God doesn't exist in eating and drinking. It exists in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Joy certainly could come about circumstantially for certain will have to do with relationship. And it, it isn't untrue. But the kingdom of God exists in joy in the Holy Spirit, the activator of all that is true in the world, the activator of reality. So there are moments in people's lives when they're moving into God and God presses on us where literally we feel like an outside presence come upon us. That is the activation of God to us through the Holy Spirit. There are these moments where you're like, man, that felt serendipitous. That's called the work of the Holy Spirit. Then there's these moments of like, man, I have these thoughts in my head that I should just call somebody right now. The Holy Spirit's alive and well, and the Holy Spirit brings about fruit, right? That's a passage in Galatians, that there's fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of them have to do with relationships. Joy is dead in the middle of that. Here's what the kingdom of God exists in. Right relationships that bring about peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when we sit and we go, man, I have broken relationships everywhere. 
What do we do in a moment like that? The kingdom of God. So if we look forward to the end, we go, well, what's going to be true in the kingdom? Well, I promise you, if lion can lay down with lamb, you can be reconciled to your dad. I promise you, if a child can play in a cobra's hole, all that was done to you, all that was wrong in your life can be turned for good. The way in which it's said in the Lord of the Rings is everything that's sad comes untrue. Right? If a cub, right, we said a cub and a calf can lie down together while the bear and the cow are chilling together, if that is real, and that can happen as we look into the future and we go, if that's what we're living for, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Your loneliness that you experience right now can be infused with the presence of God and the Holy Spirit to bring about joy. Folks, when we talk about the end, it isn't just like, Hey, what happens at the end? How do we understand the apocalypse? This is about life the way you know, intrinsically deep down it's supposed to be, which is why we get mad when relationships go awry. Is deep in your gut, even if you're in this room and you're an unbeliever, deep in your gut, you know this is not the way this should happen. This isn't the way people should treat me. This isn't the way I should treat other people because inside you, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has set eternity in the hearts of every human being. God has set eternity in your hearts. And what is eternity at the core level? God, who is a relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he can easily say, easily say, the kingdom of God doesn't exist in all the stuff you think is so important that's dividing you from other people. It exists in right relationships. It exists in peace that comes from your relationship with God. And it exists in joy and the activation of the Holy Spirit. So as all that conjures up things, there are stories in your head right now, situations in your life, brokenness that you experience. And I want to just, as we end, draw your attention back to Revelation 21. And I want to read to you. God will come. He makes his dwelling among us. And then it says, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. One translation of the psalm says that he catches your tears in his cup in his hydro flask. That he's so near to you that he now and in the future will wipe away your tears. What causes your tears? Whether you're in here and you're like, I hardly ever cry. When you're down and it's, your gut is wrenched, what is causing the internal tears that can't even come out of your eyes or the literal tears? Because here's the reality. Jesus wipes away tears. 
which means he intimately and deeply cares about you, your situation, your story. He's more committed to fixing that now and in the long run than you even wish to be true. He's more committed to your good than you even are. Back to Isaiah chapter 11. That passage about the wolf lying down with the lamb starts and says this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. You guys ever heard this passage during Christmas? Who's this speaking of in the Old Testament? Jesus. Jesus is one who comes up from Jesse. Now listen to what it says about him. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. When you're lost and you're confused, Jesus is wisdom. When you don't know direction, Jesus, the spirit of God rests on him, is understanding. The spirit of counsel, when you need a counselor in your moment to speak deeper than any counselor you've ever experienced, to draw out of you words you can't even speak for yourself, Jesus speaks to you. He calls out of you the truest of truth. He'll even call out of you the pain of all pains. He is the wonderful counselor. On him is the spirit of counsel and might which means he can fix it. Other people can help. He has might. No matter what somebody tries to convince you of, they don't. He has might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So the picture at the end of the kingdom of heaven is that Jesus there wiping tears from our eyes. That same Jesus who does it there does it now. So we're going to have a moment where we pray, and I'm going to encourage you, like, pray, God, let me get out of myself and my pride. There's going to be people all in the back to pray with you. I would love to pray with any one of you that wants to pray. And you can go... I don't want to confess my whole story right now, but I got a story, pray into it. If you have pain right now, right? He is the great physician. If you're like, my knee's killing me, let us pray for your knee. If you're like, my relationship with my parents is broken, let us pray for your parents. But in the end, let us pray for you because the power of the Holy Spirit is actively real. It's the power to set relationships right, to bring about peace, and to bring joy and a peace that surpasses all understanding. So let me pray right now. Music team's gonna come up. There's gonna be prayer people in the back. Father, I pray right now for the Holy Spirit. God, I ask that you would minister in ways that only you can minister. That you would speak now words to people exactly what they need to hear. God, call out courage in people to confess sins to one another that they might be healed. Call out courage in people to walk back and to be prayed for. God, right now, call out anybody in this room that feels like God is speaking to them maybe for the very first time or second time or third time. And God, I pray right now for an unleashing of Jesus and faith in Jesus Christ in this room. God, faith is a gift, so we ask you for it. Dispense the gift of faith 
in this room right now. Spirit, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.